like many firefighters, I started kind of on a part-time seasonal basis. And so uh, I was trying to pay for books and room and board. And I got a job uh, fighting fire in the summers in Northern California. And, uh, you know, happens to a lot of people. I kept fighting fire in the summers and I kept going to school. And then finally the balance of power shifted. And I realized what I was doing in the summers was way more fun than what I was doing in school. So, um, gosh, I pivoted. Went to grad school, kept fighting fire, and turned into a full-time fire person by the, by the late 80s. And uh, here I am, several decades later, uh, still in fire. Hello, and welcome to the 22nd episode of Wildfire Matters the podcast that covers all aspects of wildland fire management for the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM. We talk with the people who help manage and protect our public lands, many dedicating their lives to the profession. Today, Jennifer and I are taking a look back at our first 20 episodes to highlight the many different people and positions and career paths in wildland fire management, including our own. Welcome, Jennifer. Yay, I can't believe we're on episode 22. That's crazy, but we have... I can't wait to talk about the ones that we're talking about today. I know. And it's kind of strange that we don't have somebody else with us today. Yeah. Usually they're like staring at us like, okay, here we go. Yeah. But you may have heard Grant kicking off this episode. We've talked to numerous fire employees about what they do and how they got started and why they got started. But we thought it would be a good time to go back and look at some of these since we have 20 episodes yeah. and um, been doing this for a couple years now and it's hiring season and we want to just promote what we do and why we do it and it's a great job and we've talked to so many great people in the past two years that we want to highlight those people and Grant who is the uh, current Bureau of Land Management Assistant Director of Fire and Aviation he, he was in our first episode well, almost missed our first Yeah, episode. Yeah, that's a story in and of itself. Yeah. We won't go one. into that. No, that's a long one. But it's a great thing to highlight him because he actually just received his 30-year service award. Yeah, he got that today. And um, yeah, that's amazing to do. And he it was a great uh, kickoff for our podcast. Mm-hmm. So that was an awesome one. Yeah, talks about wildland fire management, his career, and he's had a long, illustrious career. And he's a great leader. And we're Happy to have him still. Yeah, for sure. He's a, yeah, he's a great leader for sure. Talk very well spoken, um, and then he had a, a good diverse background too as well. And I think that was a great way to highlight those things that it's not just fire that's um, we're highlighting. There's a multiple diversity in what our programs are. Right. So moving on, we're going to start out with Ken Schmidt. He was in our episode five. He talked about the National Multi-Agency Coordinating Group. At that time, Ken was the branch chief of preparedness and suppression support for BLM, which is currently Steve Shaw. We just interviewed him in um, two episodes prior, in episode 20, about what he does. But Ken moved on. Um, He's still working with us, but he's the division chief for Wildland Fire Budget and Evaluation. So let's kick it off with Ken. Like a lot of folks, when I was in college, a person I know introduced me to Wildland Fire and and started telling me about this job with this agency called the Bureau of Land Management. I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know anything about fighting fire, but they said they thought I would love it and and that would be a a good job that I would would like. I had experience working on ranches. I love working in the outdoors. 
And so I applied, and lo and behold, way back in 1987, I ended up getting hired in Lewistown, Montana, as a seasonal wildland firefighter. Uh, the funny part is, within with my first year, we did a week of training, and then we spent all summer doing anything but fighting fires. We did not <laughs> see a fire all summer until September, but I loved it. We spent our time working on fences, working on wreck sites. We built a seven-mile trail up in the mountains that's still used today. And I, I thought the ju- this was one of the greatest things. And then in September, the siege of 87 of California happened, and, and off we went on an engine to California. And then I went back to college uh, later on in September. So that that got me hooked and got me started. And then, of course, in 1988, I came back and... And all we did was fight fire. We didn't do any of the other uh, stuff that I enjoyed as well. But, but that's that's how I got started. It was a way to uh, pay for college, and then I discovered, you know, working for the Bureau of Land Management. I I thoroughly enjoyed the job. Enjoyed what the BLM was doing. It's a so common theme that everyone's been hooked. They loved fire from the beginning, and so um, that's across the board. That's what it seems like everyone's been. That everyone says it in their own way, but that's what they're saying. It's like they got hooked like right off the bat. Right. They, a lot of people, you know, look at fire and, oh, it's a hard job. It's a dirty job, but it's actually a fun job, too. And you meet a lot of great people doing this job. You, you can do a lot of different things. Like Ken was able to actually have a teaching career as well, yeah. or somewhat of a yeah. teaching career as well, but was able to fight fire in the summer and then decided, you know, this is what he wanted to do full time. And I've known a couple of teachers that have gone into teaching, doing this, and then decided, hey, maybe I just want to do fire for a while longer and then come back into fire. So that's kind of the nice thing about this job, too, is um, you can keep your fire quals, maybe leave for a little bit and always come back. Yeah, and a lot of them, too, like he had a math degree. A lot of the people coming into fire don't have a wildland fire management fire ecology type degree. Um, So they come in something different, which also gives them the opportunity to get out of fire and maybe go into budget or um, fire ecology or range management as well. So um, fire isn't always the stopping point. It's just usually the one that kicks it off. Yeah. Like me, I, I started, um, I was kind of a little non-traditional. We'll probably talk about that a little bit later when I started, but I had a degree in communication and I'm using it now. (laughs) <laughs> in public affairs. So still working in fire, but using my degree for a little something different. Yeah. And it always, the skill set is always there too. I mean, no matter what it is. So um, like you said, and keeping those quals. So yeah, always good to hear that. Now we're going to hear from Katrina Arguello, who is a second year firefighter. We interviewed her because she was a veteran, came out of the Marine Corps looking for something else. She was a new mother and wanted to be a little closer to home. Her job actually for that first year took her away from home, but she had a great support system and was able to do fire, loved it, and then closer to home um, was on an engine crew for her year this year. And we're going to hear a little bit about how she got started and talk about her a bit. Many of us on the crew were, were first year seasonals. Um, but we all kind of brought many experiences and skills to the table, um, all coming from different backgrounds. Um, so most of us were also like a long way from home. Um, but that kind of also helped kind of form that bond and sense of family. So, uh, taking all of the classes together, you know, everyone started from, from day one. Um, and I think that that helped a lot, but 
we also, a, a lot of us had that like veteran mindset, um, just kind of taking that with us. And we were able to adapt like very quickly. Um, it also helped like, it was like, like quick. Everyone just had each other's back. Um, but also like, you know, we could also poke fun of each other and, and be able to handle some of that like dark humor that might not be like <laughs> tolerated in, in different worlds, you know? Um, and then of course, like some of the general skills ingrained in the military, um, such as like radio comms, navigation, and then, like I mentioned before, just being able to adapt and overcome that, that really helped a lot for most of us. Yeah, she was great to talk to. She actually like brought the fire back in us, um, talking about being right. new and second year and all this stuff. So it was exciting to talk to Katrina. I enjoyed yeah. that one. She was very excited about it. And what kind of the cool thing is, too, is um, when she was coming out of the Marine Corps and, and through the transition, trying to figure out what she's going to do, um, she saw a search on Facebook, um, saw a post from the Gila National Forest um, about a women in wildfire boot camp, and she put in an application and got into that program, and they helped her, provided her, like, with kind of every little thing of, you know, fire, getting into fire, the, the classes, how you work the tools, um, how you apply for jobs on USA Jobs. And ultimately, she landed a job working on that veterans crew out of Spokane, Washington, and, and loved it. Yeah, and she actually gave us some great ideas for recruitment this year on that transition. And so we actually took that feedback that she gave us from that podcast and rolled it into this year's recruitment. And we're actually um, working with some of those transition folks and everything. We have someone working in that area um, specifically for veterans. So that's actually was great advice that she gave us to help educate and inform that group of, between transitioning from the military back to private sector. Yeah, and we did ask her, too, something that she liked most about working in FIRE. I think one of the things I liked most about working on the crew was kind of like that sense of um, doing something meaningful. Um, you know, like, I know it's kind of cliche, but um, kind of protecting the land so that, like, you know, future generations can can, can enjoy it. Um, so it's definitely, you know, I've, I've always, like, pushed myself and... and it, it, it's definitely hard on me. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty small, um, but but it, it it means a lot to me. And like going into jobs, like that's something that's really important. You know, you got to enjoy it. Is one of the biggest thing. And and like they say, it's it's not really work if you if you enjoy it. You know, so I think that's one of the biggest things is just taking something and making it like it's it's very meaningful to me. So meaningful work. Yeah, and that's what we hear from a lot of people. I mean, we are. Civil servants, um, we're working for uh, public lands in, in the jobs we do and any government job, you know. Oh, you know, some people think, oh, you're part of the government, yeah. big bad government. Yeah. Um, but we're just people wanting to make this place a better place for other people and serving the public and our public lands and protecting them. And this is one way we can do that. Yeah, and that's one thing. I love that she said that. She was like, does it really work if you enjoy it? And that's so true. I mean, I've done that like my entire career. I just am like, I look back and I'm like, oh, I've enjoyed literally almost every single minute yeah. of it. And so it's not, it's my job for sure. But yeah. I love, I mean, I love my job. And so, um, yeah, you know, I think everyone, everyone else also said it's, you know, serving the pub for the public and also going to places and, you know, the land, you know, making sure that it is there for generations to enjoy. And, and we talk about that a lot of times too, is like making sure we preserve this for everyone to enjoy later. 
Right. And there's so many places to go that you might never see if or visit if um, if it wasn't for fire. I, I There's a lot of areas, even in Idaho, that I would probably never have known were, were there or existed. Um, but fire took me to their, those places. And, and then it is such a community. You, you get to run into people that you meet, not just in fire, but community members, too, um, and have lasting um, relationships. Well, yeah. you, you even met somebody in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, too, is like, you know, it's not just here in the U.S. I mean, we had firefighters go up to Canada this year. We went to Australia. Um, just the friendships and bonds that you create in that in the wildland fire community across the borders is, is amazing. And that's the one thing, too, Katrina mentioned about going to different places. I mean, she talked about her veterans crew fighting fire in Washington right on the Canadian border, and there was, like, nothing up there. She's like, I could just look over, and it was like the, the views were amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, we just wanted to highlight what she did this year. Um, we did get to talk to her. She not able to make the, the podcast today, but um, did get to exchange some emails. She, she sent some great photos of her year. And she said, you know, this, this year was tough. It was a little different season. Um, but, and she may take a break to focus on um, school some more and her son. Uh, she's, you know, still tr- struggling with that being a new mom. And, you know, I was telling her, Hey, that's fine. You you now have fire calls. You can you can take a break and and actually come back later. And and she, and there is a lot of different opportunities for her, um, not just in fire. She might find something else she wants to do. She said she enjoyed the uh, engine experience. Her adrenaline ran through the roof on a couple of grass fires where she jumped on the hose, and she felt more like herself actually doing something meaningful and just knowing what to do. She's also said the downtime on the engine portion of it can be nice to the body physically, (laughs) but a little hard on the mind. So I think she kind of struggled with that, Mr. Crew, from the prior year, but um, sounds like she's got some things to think about, but um, hopefully we'll, we'll see her back. Yeah, and I think she had talked about she was going to school for like natural resources or something. So those that's an easy, easy thing to utilize your fire quals and knowledge for any of those things too. So yeah, good luck to Katrina for sure. Yes. Next, we wanted to highlight Phil Lind. I was going to college at the University of Wisconsin for engineering. I was in my third year and did an internship or a limited term employment with the state of Wisconsin. And after a summer of that, it was really clear I'm not feeling very satisfied with that. I need to try something different. And when you're young and impetuous, I'm like, okay, I'll just drop out and look for a new job and kind of wandered around town for about two months. (laughs) Um, Read a lot of great books and stuff and was uh, playing the role of a bum. But then it dawned on me, well, you know, you're having that existential, what am I going to do with my life? You're, you're young, you think everything really matters a lot. And I landed on public service. Let's try to find a job where you're helping people out. And uh, so I thought about police officer and, you know, growing up in Wisconsin, wildland fires not really on the tip of everyone's tongue. There's some of it in northern Wisconsin. I was in southern Wisconsin, so not a, not a first to mind, but fire seemed pretty cool. Becoming a firefighter. So I went to a fire academy and learned how to fight structure fire and became an EMT. There weren't a lot of jobs immediately, so someone recommended you should maybe try flying out west to wildland fire. That might be a good introduction to fire and look good on a resume. Um, back then, you submitted paper applications. <laughs> I we talked those about too, all yeah. those. Yeah. I think mine's that way too. Yeah, and it was a paper application for every individual place you wanted to work. So it was upwards of 150 plus I sent in. I got two replies. <laughs> One was from the BLM in Las Vegas, 
and one was from the Forest Service in Montana. Uh, Montana sounded pretty cool, you know, big mountains. I didn't know what was going down there in Vegas. Sounded like a city. So had you ever been out west before? No. No, actually, I'd only been like Canada and in the Midwest. So I left there and I took a train with everything I owned in two, two or three, duff, three duffel bags that you got at the Army surplus store and landed in Libby, Montana and had a job on the Trout Creek Ranger District on the Kootenay National Forest uh, right by the Cabinet Wilderness. And my boss came to Libby and picked me up. And uh, that first day in Libby, I got out of the, I stayed at a hotel spending about a third of the money I still had. And uh, got up that morning and went for a walk, and there's like 15 or 20 deer. And I came back and told the receptionist all about it at the hotel, and she's just looking at me like, yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of them out here. You know? Was that the first deer you've ever seen? No, there's oh, okay. plenty of deer in Wisconsin, gotcha, but okay. the fact that you could just walk in there like everywhere. They were everywhere, just right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool, and definitely fell in love with the nature aspect. And the uh, Trout Creek Ranger District had a bunkhouse, and you stayed there with a lot of people of your own age, um, and they were not just in fire, there was men and women in, in rec, in the watersheds, um, biologists and stuff like that. And we were all, you know, kind of progressing through the early portions of our career. And it was fantastic. Yeah, we love Phil. Oh, Phil. Oh, Phil. <laughs> Phil just retired. Yeah, he just retired um, Friday. Yeah. After. Yes. And then to, today he actually was awarded his 25-year uh, service pin. So good yes. job, Phil. Yeah, good job, Phil. And right before he retired, he got his 500th jump for smoke jumping. For those of you who don't know, he was a smoke jumper. Yeah. Uh, smoke jumper base manager here at the Great Basin at NIFSI and um, was moving back, I think, to Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. He was on a fire in our in Grand Junction, and so they took off, and yeah, 500th fire jump um, in Utah. So that's awesome. Congratulations, Phil. Yeah, we'll miss Phil having him around but he pointed out some great things, uh, how he got started, and, and, and kind of typical, too, of, of a lot of people we know. But interestingly, he came from Wisconsin, because you think, you know, there's a lot of people maybe in the eastern part of the United States, um, you know, fire wildfires are more of a western issue, and hire a lot of people from the west, but maybe yeah. not a lot of people from the east coast know that hey, these jobs are available. And there are there are housing opportunities. They're, they're kind of uh, not as available i guess as they used to be but there are places that you can get housing um and i know trying to work on that to get more people into these positions but um there's just there's opportunities and if if you look and this is something you want to do yeah when he was talking about the bunkhouse i remember that in my career too there's a mass of people um diverse backgrounds from all over um and you all converge on this one little housing complex and you live there through the summer um so that's also the thing too is like that's where you learn different things about the government and people living in those bunkhouses so oh yeah and all kinds of yeah from, people from all over yep working together for the greater good <laughs> yeah and that, i think again that's everyone's i mean uh, i was just laughing because um i said is that the first year you saw and he's like no but you can <laughs> just walk deer. up to him <laughs> yes <laughs> but that's just pickle for us people out west that that's just a common thing that we see right ended up on a helicopter in boise uh, through a connection and that was super impressive to get to the fire by air i was hooked for sure just all that intel you gather right away and the people on the helitack after several years of that were like well you might want to mix it up and try hot shotting so I got on the hot shots in Garden Valley, Idaho for the Boise hot shots. And um, at that point, 
there was, I, there was no going back. I was a wildland firefighter for a career. I think that's um, one of the things that, again, most people are talking about is that they've explored multiple jobs um, in their career. There may be, I think Mike Reed might have been one that just wasn't mostly aviation, but a lot of folks are start on an engine, then they go to a helitech or a hotshot crew, and then he went to smoke jumping. Um, so that's the thing is just the diversity for the the BLM, getting what type of jobs that you want. We have so many options that folks can try out. So we're always saying like, yeah, don't just stay on an engine unless you absolutely love it. But um, yeah, try different things. Yeah. And I think Mike, Mike Reed, he talked about aviation in um, BLM fire management. Um, he did start out on, a, I think he was on an engine crew or a crew of some sort. Because I remember him saying that he saw this hell attack crew show up and they flew in there and they had just like had to hike in and this is like oh, this, yeah. whole, this whole thing and then he's like wait a minute they're smart yeah. <laughs> they so, here by the air it was it was a very short period of time yes, yes. On a helicopter yeah everybody's got their story obviously right that's uh that's that's kind of a unifying thing across uh, the fire agency um, i grew up in flagstaff arizona my dad worked for the Forest service uh, he was a ranger there, and uh, I swore I would never get into the business that he was in um, because he was always gone. He was always fighting fire, and uh, so I, I told myself, no, that's that's not for me. And Following high school, um, I pursued a, a career as a doctor. I actually went to the University of Utah, and like many others, um, fighting fire in the, the off-season of, of school was what was paying for my books and my tuition. And uh, I very quickly realized that uh, smoke was in my blood. And uh, uh, suffice it to say, I'm not a doctor today. <laughs> You're a doctor of aviation. Yeah, I'm a doctor of aviation. <laughs> doctor of aviation. I, I was a lot like uh, many people. I, I started out with uh, hand crews and, and engines. Um, and, you know, sitting on the hill one day after hiking my butt off to get into a fire, I watched a helicopter fly overhead. And a bunch of people got out of it, and I thought, man, that's a better way to get into the fire. <laughs> so I, uh, I found my way onto a, a hell attack crew, and the rest is history. After that, I fell in love with aviation, just like I had fallen in love with fire. And like, uh, like Mike, Phil fell in love with aerial delivery, I guess. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, for firefighting. He got hooked again, um, like he's, most people said, but... Yeah, that was a great one. He had some good perspectives on a lot of things. Um, there's other parts and pieces of that um, where he talked about sometimes the uh, sad parts of our jobs, too, you know, when we have fallen firefighters. And so there's just the reality of, of what our world is. But that was a good, he had a, a lot of good perspectives and from that podcast. I enjoyed that. I applied uh, on the Mount Hood National Forest and, and I got picked up. I was 17 when I got picked up. So I was actually, I'm one of those people that was legitimately a GS1 for, for oh, wow. my first fire season it's because they hired That's me. The first. Yeah, that is a first. <laughs> they hired me at 17. I was at fire school on my 18th birthday. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so it, I was at fire school, turned 18 finished fire school that Friday and the, the next Monday, our type two crew got mobilized and we went to the Deschutes and did a bunch of really smoke chasing right out of the Redmond Air Center. And I was <laughs> instantly hooked. I loved it. I loved it. I loved, you know, it was back to when we worked 36 hour shifts or whatever it was like. And so I was up all night long 
and here's fire and excitement and hiking and, you know, hard work. I hated the food. <laughs> I have to say, I was a really picky eater back then. And fire, uh, a career in fire has cured me of being a super picky eater. But, <laughs> but so it was really awesome. I had a great time there on, on the Mount Hood and, and did a few seasons, seasons there on a type two crew. Then I went to a hotshot crew. I was on a hotshot crew. Um, and then I was lucky and got my, um, a permanent job offer pretty, really young, really, really young. Um, so I left the Ochoco National Forest and came over to Idaho to the Payette National Forest where I got my, my permanent job. I was going back to school in the, during the school year, uh, and, and did that, got my degree, got a permanent job and started working up on the Payette and, up on the Payette, I was uh, working on engines at first, and um, that's where I first heard the name Jennifer Miss Livy, too. Uh, so uh, I was on engines, and then I ended up going over to Rappel there. And in the wintertime, one of the really cool pieces of my, I think, career development was I wasn't someone who did really well in the off season, just being laid off and skiing. I know that's like totally crazy. I skied, but I didn't just, I, I went and worked in the supervisor's office. So I was working on an EIS and doing work in the public affairs shop there in the winter yes. time. Yeah. Oh, environmental <coughs> impact statement. So working on NEPA stuff uh, was Frank Church plan and, and stuff like that. So, so was working my winters in public affairs and, and summers on engines, then um, rappelling. And then I came down to the Boise National Forest, which is where I met Carrie yes. Bilbao uh, <laughs> yeah. and got to work a little bit more directly with Jennifer. And I did a prevention job at the supervisor's office there. And that was a really cool stop for me in my career. I feel like on the Payette, I really honed a lot of my fire skills, doing the IC gig, doing a lot of stuff like that. When I came to the Boise, I got to run a program and manage a big budget and do some cool things there. Uh, kind of going from suppression to fire prevention type mitigation work too. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was really cool. And during that time, I did some details to uh, various various other things. So I think, again, details have been really cool in, in my life. Uh, so then I went Fish and Wildlife Service in a national and kind of a split position doing, you know, prevention, mitigation, information type of work. Uh, and from there, I went <laughs> back to the Forest Service in um, training development with NWCG. And uh, that was a pretty sweet, sweet gig, too. I wasn't there too terribly long before BLM snagged me over for um, the Great Basin Training Center manager. And that's that was a great job. It's, I think it's one of the best jobs <laughs> anyone could have at the fire center. It's a lot of fun, a lot of cool opportunities there. I worked with awesome folks. So I was there for about eight years. And then I've been with the Wildland Fire Lessons Learned Center for um, going on three years now. Yeah, I mean, I think we had a good diversity of, um, you know, Kelly Woods came from uh, Wildland Fire Lessons Learned Center. That was a good one, just kind of her her background and, and applying to the Mountain Hood National Forest and then um, just kind of where she's came up. And then also that's another one, too, where a uh, single mom and trying to figure out the ways, too. So I think we've had some good 
for a lot of every, for a lot of people, good examples of different careers, different how things happen for them, and they work through some diversity or challenges. Um, that you can do this job, you have the support that's there, um, and it can be done. So, folks that are thinking, oh, I, I have a, a a child, I can't do this. You you can do this because, like I said, the support having a great support network will definitely help you out. Yeah, and, and along with Kelly, uh, she actually was a GS1 mm-hmm. yes. um, from the very yeah, few <laughs> when she started because she was 17 when she applied, oh, yep. um, got talked into it and applied for the job and got it and then went through fire school, I guess, on her 18th birthday. Yeah. She um, showed up. Or for fire school and um, yeah, now, now running the Lessons Learned Center. So that's pretty great accomplishment. So... I'm actually a third-generation firefighter. My grandfather started fighting wildland fires uh, right after World War II. Uh, He worked a couple seasons with the Forest Service down in California and then switched over to then the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. Uh, Had a long, illustrious career. My father followed in his footsteps. He worked for the BLM for a couple years as a station manager up in Fort Yukon, Alaska, but uh, spent the vast majority of his career working for CAL FIRE as well. So... Ever since I was a little kid, wildland fire was a thing in in my family. So uh, as my dad was a duty officer, I spent a lot of time in dispatch. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the Susan Miller Agency Fire Center, probably from seven years old until I was time for myself to go try to start firefighting. So I started out uh, on the Shasta Trinity unit of uh, Cal Fire, Uh, moved up here to Idaho, like you said, to go to Boise State University. Thought, man, Idaho has a lot better hunting than California does. I think I'm going to stick around up here. So... Uh, the rest is history. Uh, spent a number of years with the federal government uh, working on fire engines on the Sawtooth National Forest, uh, Boise National Forest, and then uh, Bureau of Land Management down in Northern California before coming to the National Interagency Coordination Center. And we've had a couple other two um, that have like our second and third generation firefighters as well. And so that's good to see that, you know, it's just kind of passed on. Uh, through generations, um, and people still enjoy it. They made a, I think they're doing a little bit different than what their grandpas or their dads have done, but still, um, the generational of that too was good to see. Yeah, uh, Sean Peterson was one of them. He, um, when we did the episode six talking about the National Interagency Coordination Center at NIFC, he was then acting as the center manager. He is now currently the center manager. He did get that position full time. Happy about that. Sean's a great. Great person, great individual, and we're glad to have him still. But he was, yeah, third generation. Um, started in on engines, and then and then worked his way through dispatch up to up to Nick. I have a bit of a unique background um, when it pertains to wildland fire. I've sort of dabbled in and out of the profession. So actually right out of high school, I was hired um, on with BLM as a GS2 out of Shoshone, Idaho. And I served on the engines there for a couple of years and then transferred to Boise District, which is where we actually worked together. And I fought fire out of Boise District for a couple of years as well. And then at that point, I made the transition over to the Idaho State Office. And I worked in health and safety, specifically in workers' comp, and then also was instrumental in helping stand up the first emergency medical services program for Idaho BLM back when we were trying to formalize the medical program. And so that was a big step. And then moved on and transferred to the Forest Service, where I worked as a district ranger off the Salmon Chalice and also off of the Boise National Forest. And then in between that um, was an ops chief out of the Boise District, where I oversaw 
various different programs, but specifically as it ties back to fire, emergency stabilization, and rehabilitation. So I actually got to see the other side of wildland fire after um, the fires roll through, and as managers, we try and go and rehab the land. I've always been somewhat involved in fire, as I mentioned, working with the firefighters with emergency medical services program, also workers' comp, and then as a district ranger was an agency administrator. And then most recently landed at NWCG, which is where I currently am. And um, NWCG, for the folks that don't know, is the National Wildfire Coordinating Group, and we create standards for the entire wildland fire community. So I've had a really unique um, background and career in wildland fire, and it's been fun to kind of bounce around and bring all of those skill sets to where I've landed today. And then we have people like uh, Katie Wood. Uh, I worked for her, with her for a bit on the Boise District BLM, but she had a unique kind of background, getting into fire kind of a roundabout way and worked through safety and then ended up going through, she did a little bit on a fire crew, uh, did ranger work and, and for forest service and other other various <laughs> jobs, and then now is the uh, manager for the National Wildfire Coordinating Group. Yeah, that I'm then. Yeah, she's got another good one too, and she still goes out on fires. Um, I think she's a plan section chief, and so that's great too. Still able to stay that connected to fire. Um, one of the things, too, I was going to talk about is um, just the diversity or just the difference in our BLM fire programs from state to state. And Carrie had a great opportunity to go to Alaska this year and see how that is different from some of the programs in the for- lower 48. So I think that was a great podcast to see that and kind of highlight how it's different up there in Alaska. Yeah. Um, the Alaska Fire Service, uh, what a great program they have in Alaska. It's BLM. Um, they manage pretty much the fire wildland fire for Alaska and for all DOI agencies and, and work with the state to put out fires, <laughs> to put out wildfires. And they, they do have a big job up there because they don't have a lot of roads. They do a lot of things by air. And if you want to really get a taste of different types of positions, uh, we did a couple episodes for this summer um, on Alaska Fire Service and the different positions there from uh, smoke jumper, their big paracargo program, to um, the um, aviation portion of it. And yeah, there was a couple of different positions you highlighted there for sure. Um, and that's the other thing too, is like with Alaska, when I post some of their jobs, um, you could be a dispatcher, you can be fire operations specialist, and then also you can be a cook. So not everyone is in the on the line for firefighting. There's so many support support positions that are out there, not just in Alaska but across the BLM, um, that you can do with incident business, fire mitigation, prevention, education. Um, John Skinner talked about fire trespass, and so a variety of options uh, for support roles um, that you can apply to as well. Yes, and and one unique, very unique position they have in Alaska is the fire specialist position, and they do fire detection flights, and they they kind of a uh, have their hands in a lot of different things, from duty officer to you know working on the ground to you know helping hire schools for <laughs> um, for incident management teams, things like that. So pretty diverse opportunities in Alaska. Um, the one I really enjoyed was with when we talked about um, our meteorologists, um, yes. Jim Wallman and um, Nick Nosler. They came in. Um, that's good to just kind of give folks understanding of 
um, the National Energy Coordination Center and then the predictive services side of that and kind of how that works on predicting the weather (laughs) or what it's going to be for like a three-month, four-month period. And so that was kind of, that was interesting to see that kind of science put into that. Yeah. And also to have, we have a couple uh, doctors working in fire now too. Um, Dr. Drew or Andrew Southard, who um, was in episode uh, 15, explaining the operational medical support program and how he kind of got involved in fire in a roundabout way, but he actually was interested in working on um, structure engines and decided, well, maybe wildland fire is the way to go. And then, then kind of, well, that's not maybe working out the way you wanted, um, totally, but then ends up back working in fire. <laughs> yeah. 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 Doctors be. too. Yeah. Dr. Patty, o, um, Patty O'Brien is, came, I think she's been with us about a year and a half. And so she does the SISM, which is the Critical Incident Stress Management Program, as well as mental health. And so mental health is a huge thing in the wildland fire community. So it was great to talk to her. She came and chatted during Suicide Prevention Month, um, just kind of give us some tips and kind of get through that for for folks that are needing that assistance yeah and she also was on a hotshot crew yeah that's how she started and i think that's where she realized hey you know we need some support for people out here they're they're seeing things they're experiencing things long seasons away from home away from family and just yeah providing that mental support yeah and she had a good thing about that it's okay to ask for help it's okay to to ask for that assistance if needed for sure absolutely and also wanted to point out Jessica Gardetto, who's is no longer working with us here, but um, in her ep- in the episode we did with her, she's working for still working in fire um, for Office of Wildland Fire as public affairs uh, specialist. But you know, she pointed out that it's it's actually an exciting time to get into wildland fire and um, just the different changes we're seeing with the the, the positions being developed. And the recognition we're getting from headquarters and, and um, people back in D.C. that, you know, this is a big deal, having wildland firefighters as a profession and having people to actually have careers in wildland fire and and the importance of it. And she pointed out that, you know, it, it can be a it can be a dirty job, a fun job, but it's really interesting and meaningful. And there's a lot of directions you can go being in wildland fire. So I started as a seasonal wildland firefighter and then worked on fire crews for a few years to put myself through college and then enjoyed it so much that after college, I went into fire prevention and information and then into public affairs. So we caught the fire bug, right? Like I caught the fire bug like everybody else. And it's, you know, it's funny, like I'm sure you have friends that don't work for the government and they often say things like, man, don't you get bored? And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, no. I do not get bored working for the government. Every day is different. <laughs> Every day we're dealing with something new and exciting and challenging, which is not exaggerated. Both for of my sure. friends here are nodding. <laughs> That's for sure. Yes. yes. And so we deal with just a lot of really interesting issues at NIFC and in wildland fire management. And it's a really exciting time to work in wildland fire management. There's a lot of changes going on right now. There are a lot of issues, and which we will talk about in the course of this podcast. Maybe not this one in particular, but other episodes. And just overall, yeah, I, I just have, I'm one of those people I feel that I'm pretty lucky to say that I enjoy my job and I really enjoy the people I work with. Wildland firefighting, it is, it's, 
as I've, you know, you could Google and you can talk to any wildland firefighter. Like it's, and you've both been there. It's dirty physical work, <laughs> but it's also mentally challenging. And again, like you're never doing the same thing twice. You're never in the same place twice, especially if you're on like a hotshot crew or a smoke jumper or even engine crews. I mean, they do every day is different and you're outside. You're not sitting at a desk. It's exciting work. You know, some of it is, yes, you're, you're sitting and waiting for the next fire. You're maintaining equipment, waiting for the next fire and mowing the lawn while you're waiting for the next fire. But it's also this just really interesting, challenging job that, I, I hope a lot of people, especially, you know, the younger generations, find that excitement and, and realize that this is actually a really interesting, meaningful career. Yeah, it is. And like I said, we talked about the position descriptions and we had um, those subject matter experts come on and talk about the new uh, 0456 series for the wildland firefighter. So that's that's exciting to see that. And we're actually putting jobs out on the street now uh, for that wildland firefighter new position. So that's great to, to see that. And um, yeah, check out USA Jobs for those new positions. Yeah, there's just a, a lot of opportunity. Uh, Courtney Wyatt, too. Um, Went from firefighter to, to into fuels and fuels management. Yeah, we've had some good ones. Yeah. Oh, Court Gossard. You know, oh, yeah. we're gonna maybe we'll end with him, yeah. <laughs> just because we're gonna be talking about fire investigation here in a little bit probably. Yeah. And he he was in fire investigation. He actually got my old job when at the Boise District, and he came from military uh, law enforcement background, and worked into fire and loves it. He's third generation. His grandfather. Started in fire after World War II, yeah. and then his dad worked in New Mexico, yep. which um, Jennifer actually worked with. Yeah, <laughs> I did. His dad was my supervisor for a couple months. I joined the military in 2004, um, did several deployments. I got medically retired for my injuries in 2014, um, kind of hopped around a few jobs, and got back as a Department of Defense civilian as a 911 dispatcher. And then um, I guess the bug kind of struck me because fire kind of runs my family. I'm the third generation now, um, and I wanted to come back home to Idaho, and I started applying to the BLM, and I got a, a job and just started networking from there. I think that the the transition is actually pretty smooth. I think the military sets us up for professions in fire, um, how we're trained, the training we receive, um, and the transition services out, you know, preparing you for looking for jobs and such, um, and I think that... We have, as a veteran, you have a lot of skills that are beneficial to fire. And my skills just kind of matched up with the position I'm in now. So, yeah, there's a lot of good episodes to listen to. Um, if you haven't, if, if you want to learn more about the different positions and, and different things you can do in fire, uh, check it out. You know, all our episodes are on our NIFC website and our partners page under our podcast. Um, there's descriptions there, different platforms you can listen to or listen to it on and but you can look at the descriptions i'll give you a good idea of what what those podcasts are about and and want to learn more about these different types of positions check it out yeah we know i think i said before we had some great podcasts so looking forward to the other ones that we have scheduled out yes between the both of us we have over 58 years of fire experience that's a lot of years enjoying the great outdoors and playing in the dirt <laughs> I still oh, like playing in the dirt in the great outdoors, yes. so nothing's changed. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. And we, when we recorded that, was our first episode, 58 years. But now we have 60. Yeah, we did some real One math. We did some real math, 60 yes. years. 
<laughs> yes, I got my 25-year um, service award, and Jennifer has hers, but she's on 20. I'm on 27. And the other thing cool, too, is Sherry Asherfeld in our office um, had, got her 30-year pin. So there's three fabulous ladies in the external affairs shop at NIFSI that have 80 years of fire experience. So that's cool. Yeah. It doesn't exactly the 25 years because no. it doesn't really count the seasonal work Correct. that I did in the beginning. But yeah, this is my 30th fire season. I took fire school in 1993. Yeah, this is my 32nd. About, yeah. So with that. And so if you can't already tell, we're going to talk a little bit about ourselves right now. <laughs> yes. Well, because we, you know, we've done all these uh, podcasts and, and talked to all these different people about their backgrounds and how they got started, but we thought it would be good to tell you all a little bit about how we got started and yeah. what we do. Share a little bit about us, our, the, coast, the host and co-host. Yes. Since I got one more year on you, I guess I'll go first. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away, Carrie. Yes. I started in 1992. I was looking for a job actually after college, so not traditionally going through getting a fire job and putting myself through college in, in fire. I actually worked at a bar and grill my parents owned for years, and that's how I put myself through college. And then once I got out of college, I was looking for something in public affairs because I did get a communication degree, and I was thinking I was going to go into public relations, public affairs, or something like that. My sister was working at, this is going to be kind of long, I'll try to make it short, but <laughs> um, my sister was working at Bogus Basin, um, the local ski area, and needed somebody for the ticket sales. I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll take that. It's a night job. She needed somebody for a night um, to work nights up there. And so I'm like, yeah, I can do that, and then I can look for a job during the day. Well, during that time, I met a couple people in fire. Um one person worked for the Boise District. Um, the other person worked for, he was a smoke jumper, actually. Um, and so they were both telling me, they, they were patrollers, and they were both telling me, hey, if you like seasonal work, you should check out Wildland Fire. I'm like, huh, never thought about that. So I got, uh, kind of got interested in it after talking to them for a bit and said, okay, maybe I'll check that out. Put my application in on my written SF-171, um, went in actually to uh, the local office here and brought in my application all excited. And the FMO looked at me and grabbed my application and put it on a stack of them. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well. but I'm like, well, I don't know how this is going to go. Yeah. <laughs> but it worked out. Um, had a few different interviews with the different crews and then got called back actually to go back to the Boise crew, um, Boise District BLM and interview with uh, my boss that I had for several years there before he retired um, for a fire investigation job. And I was like, I don't do fire investigation. <laughs> I've never done that. But he was kind of impressed with, um, I had some writing skills through my communication degree, um, worked on that, and also had photography because I did a little bit of photography in college as well. And he said, oh, the rest will come. You know, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll train you. We'll put you through fire school. We'll give you an investigation course, and we'll do some on-the-job training. You'll be great. And, you know, 30 years of that, <laughs> loved it. Well, 26 seasons, I guess, um, of that job, loved it. Eventually worked my way, spent most of my career there, actually the majority of my career at the Boise District, but kind of worked my way up through um, positions in, in the fire prevention side of things, but had opportunities to work on engine crews, um, got my engine operator, got my CDL so I could drive engines, um, which I 
recently gave up, but not really going to do that anymore. But then also got a helicopter crew member, so I got to do some really cool, still some of my funnest fire assignments were on hel- doing that helicopter crew member, helitac crew um, assignments. And so, yeah, just a lot of opportunities there. And then when my boss retired in investigation. I took his job and then eventually moved to NIFSI a few years ago in public affairs. And I kind of laugh about, oh yeah, only 26 years. I'm finally <laughs> using my degree, but that's I a, used it there too. That's a big roundabout to get yeah. to your job. But I got to do a lot of cool events like prevention events, um, educational type things, worked in mitigation, worked with a, a lot of cool people and got to a lot of cool fire signs. And well, I met Jennifer. Yeah, Carrie was definitely, she'll just kind of frown upon it, but um, uh, Carrie got a Golden Smoky Bear Award for her amazing work in fire investigation and trespass. So she's one of the premier Beale and fire investigator and trespass. Um, so it was, was a pleasure. Was. Because she's <laughs> not doing that anymore. But she does still, they still go and ask her to come help teach and have the qual. So um, definitely one of my mentors when I was coming up into my side with fire investigation. So yeah, it's been a great uh, friendship um, with Carrie actually well. Yeah. Our careers have worked well together. So your turn, Jennifer. All right. Well, I did actually come up into fire on purpose. Um, Not really on purpose. Um, So I went to college on a basketball scholarship and I actually wanted to be a nurse, um, but I couldn't play basketball and go to nursing school at the same time. So I took some general eds courses. And then two ladies that were on my basketball team, Angie Simpson, was one of them. She works for NIFSI of BLM Fuels. Um, she was in fire. Her and her sister, Susie, were both in fire. And so they're like, hey, try it. Um, so I took a couple classes um, that winter, and I applied back when it was the STEP program, so the student employment program, if that's an old generation for folks. Um, applied, same thing, SF-171, filled it out, and they said they're always taking people that are in sports and athletics because of your physical fitness. And I'm like, all right. So I applied, got a job on the Payette National Forest in New Meadows, Idaho. So excited. Um, and my dad worked for... Uh, he's retired now, but worked for Boise Cascade. And he was so excited. He got me my first pair. He's like, I'll get you your boots. And I'm like, all right. I didn't know what to get. So he got me his boots and I was so excited to have those. I went to guard school in 1993 um, and had a great, 1993 was quiet at rain. So we um, just did a lot of fuels, prescribed burning, um, that. And then we had one single tree fire at the end of the season and my feet were so hot. I don't know if I was just standing in the ash or whatever. And my engine boss is like, are those steel-toed boots? And I'm like, I, I guess. I don't I don't, I don't know. My dad boots. got them from Boys Cascade. And he's like, you can't wear steel-toed boots. And I'm <laughs> like, lumber boots, lumberjack boots. <laughs> lumberjack boots. And I'm like, my dad got them for me. He was so excited. And they're like, oh, you're going to get your toes cut off if there's a log that falls on them. And I'll see, yeah, they're warm because it's heat. So I remember going back and telling my dad, dad, I have to buy new boots. I can't wear steel-toed boots. And so just laughed. But um, that was, yeah, that was the beginning. Like everyone else, I got hooked. Um, I finished um, college and through, I also went through the uh, apprenticeship program, California. And so I got my permanent job. And um, I remember I declined the job at first because I thought they wanted to work in Vail, Colorado. 
Um, they called me up and they're like, hey, you applied for this apprenticeship program. Do you want to work? And I'm like, where are you at? And they're like, Vail, Colorado. I'm like, no, that's all right. I won't take it. And I remember the FMO called me back and said, no, Vail, Oregon. And this is a permanent <laughs> position. And my mom had just given me the lecture. You better get a real job because <laughs> you need health insurance and retirement and all of that stuff. And I was like, all right, I'll take it. So, yeah, I just totally declined the first one because I was like, I don't want to work in Vail, Colorado. And it's, <laughs> it was Vail, Oregon, which was great. But, um, yeah, I worked through that. So engines, um, dispatch went through those things. But then I fell the love of fire prevention and education, um, which is funny because I totally failed um, speech class in high school. And now I talk to all kinds all of people <laughs> all the time. So um, Type 1 PIO. Type, yeah, also a type 1 incident PIO for incident management team. But just loved it. Loved talking to people, talking to the community, educating folks about fire prevention, fire awareness, um, like carry fire mitigation. Did that as a state lead in a district, um, a state office, state in a district office for 18 years. Um, love that. Um, working on some national programs. But yeah, same thing. I, I got my 25 year pin and um, and at 20 years, actually, you can take get out of the fire program and not lose your fire retirement. Um, so I stuck with it and just had the opportunity to detail in with Carrie and Jessica and everyone to the uh, public affairs shop and loved it. Um, this was a calling to help, you know, tell the BLM story. And so I applied for the job and got that in uh, 2022 during COVID. And so, um, <laughs> got that job and been there the last couple of years, or actually 2021 and absolutely loved it. Done some amazing things. Um, one of the coolest things I think we did was we created a national wildland firefighter day. And so that was two, it's been a year for that. And so that was just, we can just do cool things in that job. And so I think that's one of the things that both Karen and I've talked about is that just, um, telling that story for the BLM and just, um, helping folks in the field. Yeah, and helping people understand like what we do and and hiring and recruitment we're, we're like we're not really you know we're not into the, the recruitment thing yeah. but but it is our job to tell the story and if we tell the story maybe people will be interested and and want to want to join us. Yeah, it's a great. I mean, all the agencies will say that you know, Park Service, Fish and Wildlife Service. I mean, they're all wonderful agencies to work for. But I mean, we've been in BLM for so long that's like, yeah, that's like where my heart is. And so, yeah. just talking about that and why you should work for the BLM, some of the amazing things, some places you can see, friendships you create, and they last for a long time. So yes. it's been great. And Jennifer's a little modest too. She had she also has a a Smoky Bear Award. Silver Smoky. Yes. I guess I won up on you then. That's good. <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> but for all your work yeah. in education prevention as well, and well-deserved too, because Jennifer is uh, got some great innovative ideas. In fact, she came to us with the National Wildland Firefighter Day idea, and she's done a lot of great things at work um, just for internal awareness within our organization. Um, probably some of you can't listen to the fire chat Fridays, <laughs> but it is, um, something like something like a podcast is, you know, inform people. And we've had a lot of people and other agencies going, God, you guys are doing really good things. We don't hear anything, but that's another plug for being alone. Yeah. Fire <laughs> chat Fridays. So we try to, we try to really, uh, you know, inform, keep people informed of what's going on. And, and, you know, even with this crazy times, government shutdowns, pending, you know, we've we've lived through, I've worked through a yeah. few of those and, and we made it. Um, aside from all that, you know, you might think, oh, I don't know if I want to do this type of work, work for the government. But 
actually, you know, we, we make it through these things um, through different administrations. And, um, you know, we're just here. We have a job to do and we're here to do the job. And as long as we can pull it together and, and, and get through all these crazy times, um, we're the better for it. Yeah. And still love benefits we enjoy and the people. For sure. And that's one thing, too. Um, I plug it for, yeah, for Fire Chat Fridays is that um, that just came up when um, <clears throat> we were going through those positions and hiring and pay. Um, but the one thing that I love about those is our leadership is at those Fire Chat Fridays. Um, they're at like during lunchtime on a Friday, but leadership is there. They're transparent. We're honest and we want to get the message down to the boots on the ground, the field. And so I think that's like the po- this podcast, Fire Chat Friday, the things that our office and the fire program are innovative of coming up with to make sure everyone is aware of what's happening. So it's been great. But we don't want to go on forever and no. bore you all to death. But listen to some more podcasts if you haven't. And um, hopefully you enjoyed this one. We enjoyed taking a look back and uh, really thank everyone for listening and <laughs> sticking in there with us as we discuss our our uh, reminiscent times in fire <laughs> and all, about all the great people and the great job that we do. Yeah, it is. And to learn more about NIFSI or the BLM like we've been talking with for the, like the last hour, please visit our website at www.nifsi.gov. If you have questions, comments, or even topic suggestions for future podcasts, email them by visiting the nifsi.gov website, scroll down to the contact us, Use Wildfire Matters podcast in the subject line. And remember to follow us at BLM Fire on Facebook, The X, and Instagram. Yes, and join us next time when we spark a conversation about post-fire recovery and the importance of emergency stabilization after severe fire. Until, Until then, then, stay, stay safe, safe and be wildfire, wildfire aware. aware.